Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Providing aid that actually helps can be a real challenge, but there are some things that we can do to do it right. And we're going to talk about what happens when we do get it right. This is the Engaging Missions Show, episode 216 with Terry Hoggard. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for stopping by and welcome to the show. Our goal is to equip, challenge, and inspire you. This week, we're going to be talking about an unlikely story that involves a bicycle tire, how a particular organization approaches their aid with both grace and intentionality, and some of the ways that we've seen lives changed when they do that. I have for you a podcast recommendation brought to you by missionalaudio.com, and we're going to answer the question, who are you fighting? And just a little bit of a teaser. This is taken a little bit from an article by Steve Shermer, and then I'm going to share a little bit of my thoughts as well. Now, as a reminder, I am in the middle of a fundraiser. I'm raising money for Global Initiative, who provides training resources and sends people all over the world to help train the church to reach Muslims. You can find out more about what they're doing and how you can be involved by visiting engagingmissions.com slash fund16. Now, before we get to today's episode, I have a couple of other things I want to share with you. First off, I want to say thank you to Rodney, Hal, and Mark for providing feedback over the last couple of days. As I'm recording this, they've provided some feedback about topics and things that they find interesting. If you're interested in providing feedback, you can send that to feedback at engagingmissions.com. I also want to welcome, and I hope I get this name right, Othiano. Patrick, Courtney, David, and Alexander, they all liked the Engaging Missions Facebook page. If you're interested in doing that, you can do that at facebook.com slash engagingmissions. We're, we're starting to have a little bit more fun on the page. This past week, we had a, a good conversation about fundraising, and sometimes I like to ask questions there. It's a great place to connect. And I also want to just kind of mention on a personal note, this past week, as I'm recording this, I went to a podcast boot camp. It's where I was going to learn how to get a 100,000 listeners. Now, to be quite honest, I think the marketing might have overshot that a little bit, and that wasn't really my goal, but I did get some things that I'm thinking through, and just kind of keep your eyes and your ears open over the next few weeks. I may be asking for some feedback about some things that I can change about this show because I want to make it better for you. I want to make it meet your needs better. Stick around all the way to the end. I do have one more question for you. I'm, I'm looking for a way to help maybe create a little bit stronger connection. I, it's something that I think that you might enjoy. We're going to hit that at the very end, so stick around for that. With that, we're going to head right into our time with Terry Hoggard. All right, today I'm incredibly excited to have with me Terry Hoggard. So, Terry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Delighted to be with you. Oh, this is my pleasure, too. Now, I know that you're the, the vice president of Convoy for Hope International, and you also work with several international church organizations. Can you share a little bit more about your background and where you've served and what it is that you're doing right now? Yeah, I'll try to do that. Just kind of capsulize it for you and then hope I can keep it succinct enough. Sure. So I began, my wife and I began a missionary career, actually, full time. Back in 1984, we, we, we began to process the, to be, we were appointed and got going, spent 10 years in Rome. And there I started an international church that became a really great church. Out of that, we planted about 15 other largely Filipino churches, and that grew into a whole network of European Filipino mm -hmm. churches. So that was a great experience. And I went to Brussels. And Rome was the second international church that were, it's a part of the missions organization that I'm associated with. Hmm. The first one, the mother church was Brussels. So I then am asked to go to Brussels. I lead that church for 10 years. 
And then I stayed in Brussels. And for the next 10 years, I, I spent 10 to 14 days a month in Copenhagen, Denmark. Mm. And then for seven years, I spent 10 to 14 days a month in Malmö, Sweden, just across the bridge. In both cases, I was working with strong national churches that were inundated with this international presence and wanted to kind of change the way they did church to accommodate what they saw as new citizens Hmm. into their city and nation. So that was kind of what I did. And then out of that, in 2004, I had about 12 friends that I knew around Europe. We were all kind of pastoring international churches. And what I recognized was that All these guys had an organization they belonged to. That's where they got their spiritual covering. And Mm. all of them had national organizations they belonged to because that's where they got their legal covering and status to live in the nation. But what they didn't have was a relational network where they could gather with like-minded guys and talk about what was still an emerging ministry. Not a lot of books written on how do you pastor international churches. So we started a network. And that network we called Fellowship of European International Churches. I led that for 10 years, and we ended up with 74 churches in 47 countries. And then after that, about 2012, I sort of saw the need to maybe see other regions of the world get a chance to become strategic and intentional about international church planting and development. So I started something called Global International Church Network with the idea that we wanted to inspire regional development. So that was kind of all I was doing. And I was really, I enjoyed it so much. I loved it a lot. And then in 2015, just in kind of a random connection with the Hal Donaldson, the founder and the leader of Convoy, we met, we began to talk and he said, Terry, I'm wondering if you would have any, any sense of leading to come and help us build a global compassion network. Hmm. So that's what I did. I said yes to that. And knowing that we had a chance to engage with church networks all over the, all over in every region of the world globally could do some great things. He already had great representation on his board, but just the intentional strategic development. And that is so much. uh, I love being able to launch strategic initiatives that have redemptive value in them. So I saw this as that. And that's what took me here. Wow, that's great. And and your ability to summarize all of that is is incredible because I'm I'm looking at that and in my mind I'm seeing decade upon decade of of <laughs> life and service and we we glossed over the whole thing in about two and a half maybe 3 minutes. Yeah. And you know, there were as as I was listening to your story, there's a common thread I think in terms of relationship and seeing needs and filling them, but I would suspect there were also a number of pivot points. And I'm wondering, you know, as you think Maybe specifically about that when you referenced that they were seeing a need for a way to accommodate new citizens. How was it that that you and they saw that and then found a path forward? Well, I tell you what I think it was. I think it was such an emerging reality. Uh, I mean, I got to Europe at a time that there'd always been internationals, you know, business guys and diplomats. It always been that rhythm in the city. So there was a certain sense in the large European cities. They they had international schools and they had international rotary. They just had a presence, but these guys sort of came and and went with such a rapid pace that no one really thought about inclusion because they kind of came, lived their own little, you know, insular life and were gone. And all of a sudden that began to shift, partly because of the whole global reality of our world and And just all of a sudden, it just started being different. And actually, Europeans themselves began to feel themselves being a bit internationalized, Mm -hmm. more aware of the world beyond what they had kind of previously been limited to know. And it just was emerging. And it became quite clear that these these guys are here. They're not going home. I mean, there were lots of Europeans that took wives or husbands who were from outside the European context. And so... Yeah, I have a buddy who's Finnish named Yuha. His wife is from Russia, so he she learns Finnish, but she doesn't really feel Finnish. So here's my buddy Yuha saying, you know, I got a family, but we don't fit the Finnish the Finnish church really. And so he was quite excited to find an environment. And I think the great thing was Brian hmm. that churches in Europe recognized that we have a chance here to freshen the vitality of the church because. What you have to create when you bring in newly arriving citizens is you have to allow the capacity to co-create a culture. And that co-created culture added things that just brought life and substance and meaning and depth. And the more the churches saw that happening, the more they kind of said, you know what, this is 
this is good and this is right. And we want to make some shifts in our way of doing church, our perspectives to be able to embrace what is becoming our new reality. Wow. I, I love that. And and knowing about the, the listeners of the Engaging Mission show, I would say about half or so are typically people who live in the U.S. and care about church planting, global missions. They care about those kinds of things, but maybe aren't necessarily all called into that place. What can we as the church in the U.S. learn from our European counterparts and how can we approach what we're seeing in our culture with maybe not the same thing, but how can we approach it based on what, what you've seen there? Well, I think what, what's going to help us going forward, and I, there's a lot of dynamics to a globalized world, yeah. some good, some not so great. But I think what I know is but behind everything that's birthed in the, inside the, the changing of our world dynamics, there's certainly a piece of that that the enemy will manipulate and it will become, you know, become a very bad thing. Mm-hmm. For example, globalization allows for the global trade of drugs and for the global movement of human beings as if they were commerce. Right. That, that part of globalization is disturbing. But on the other hand, it gives life because now the streams of, the, of God's sons and daughters are intersecting in places they never would have before. And I just think what we want to be tuned into is what is God doing in the days of our generation? My, my wife's grandfather was an immigrant from Italy mm. uh, back in 1925. And he, he, he found his way in. But I'll tell you, the way he found his way in were people in those days recognized, here's these guys coming and from out through Ellis Island, what can we do? And my grandfather established life, not just in America, but a life with Christ, because people were aware of the fact that this is a moment, this is a surge, and let's, let's redeem, let's, there's redemptive opportunity here. Let's grab the redemptive opportunity. So I think that's probably the biggest thing that there are always being created, you know, by God himself, redemptive opportunities. If we're dialed into that and can respond in a way that would represent the heart of God, there's just so much good that comes to us and so much eternal good that comes to those that we are open and ready to receive. One of the things that stood out to me as you were sharing that was the the comment responding with the heart of God. Can you share a little bit more about that? Well, I guess what I'm saying is, is that, you know, there, there is in God, as we know, is a redemptive God. There's a guy named Wellington Boone, and I give him credit for this comment because I heard it from him. Hmm. He says that the church often has to learn by tribulation what they could have learned by revelation. Wow. And if you really know the history of the church, that's kind of true. We did, we didn't get in, I met Jesus in 1970. We didn't get the Jesus movement until it was almost too late. We didn't get the whole movement of the desegregation of the, of our society and our churches. Society was getting, the church was lagging behind the charismatic renewal. Just pick something and almost invariably you kind of, sadly, the church kind of comes to the dance a little bit late most mm-hmm. of the time. So that's what I'm saying. If we could become in, increasingly responsive, to see, to see the movement of God, I mean, in things that, uh, again, another great quote from a friend of mine named Charles Sipthorpe, who's an apostolic pastor in, in the UK, he says this, that God often does his supernatural work in such a natural way that only the discerning will perceive it. So it's about perceiving the movements of God, discerning that this is a God moment and responding with God's heart to something others might criticize or, or, or at least be very slow to respond to. But something happens in the hearts of those whose, whose spirits are made alive and you see potential in things that others might casually pass over. Wow. I, I love that. It's going to take me a while to ponder that. That's, that's, that's some deep thoughts right there. As, as I think yeah. about years and decades of ministry, I would suspect that you've seen God's faithfulness time and again. And I'm wondering, as you look back over, over the, the decades now of service, can you find and point to one time where you really saw God's faithfulness? You know, I can think of several. Probably the most recent one that, that, that happened for me was I I, I'm doing what I felt, you know, I was asked to do in 2015, and yet I recognize that so many of the pieces that it would take to actually form a global network and actually have, you know, such a an engaging, willing desire on both sides, both our part with co- our convoy team and our, our executive leaders and with mm-hmm. those who wanted to link to. And I have just been utterly stunned at conversations that I sit in the room and a conversation starts and I'm thinking to myself, you've got to be kidding me. This guy is now with his mouth inviting me to do something that I have longed to do. I didn't Mm. have any idea that's what this conversation is going to be about. 
And it's often like God, I mean, it's just as if God just says, by being obedient, literally all we get credit for is being in the room and, and, and being in the place when God had already determined he was going to show up and, 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 and fulfill the, the things you were dreaming about. And I, it, it just happened again today. And I think that is just stunning to me. In fact, I wrote my boss and I said, can you believe this? This young guy is actually articulating what we've been ag- advocating for. And it's literally, it, he's not faking this. It's literally like it was born in him as if all the words we've been saying didn't land, but suddenly something awakens in his heart. And now this can happen. There's no need to, to position it or massage it. Just stand back and watch what God's about to do here. And it's just stunning when you see God pulling it together, faithfully doing behind the scenes without our knowledge, Hmm. what you knew had to happen for things to actually come together. Man, that, that's incredible. As you look over your, your years, how have you continued building your education, your experience, your expertise across the years? Well, I, I tell you what, I, I've been very intentional, and this was part of my, my coming to Christ, because when I came to Christ, I came through a lot of the influence of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and they really encourage this life-on-life mentoring reality, they generally assign you, back in my day, they assign you to someone who kind of is going to be your, 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 your big brother and coach you and guide you and make sure you get on your feet spiritually. So I've always been very aware of that, that there's, there's a intentional mentoring. I've always been kind of dialed in to, to see people and to ask people if, if we could begin to meet regularly. So I've done that. I, of course, after I finished CBC, I went on to do some some studies beyond that didn't didn't finish my master's because I was overseas and every program I started moved and took me away from it. But I, I still did the courses and wanted to get it. There was a point where I recognized, you know, I want to shift the way that I want to relate to people, particularly as I felt myself being two generations removed from a lot of the guys I was dealing with just by age. I was 50. They were 30. So wow. I, I kind of recognized the need to, to I want to approach this more from a coaching angle. So I I did, I've done two certified coaching programs so I can be a part of the, 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 the coaching certification so I can engage and employ those methods in a better way. I just recently went to a, to a prayer retreat with the lady who leads the spiritual formation department at Talbot, which is the School of Theology for Biola University. She leads the department called spiritual formation. It's a very interesting thing that I didn't know a lot about, but I thought, you know, like in coaching, they encourage you to ask powerful questions and in spiritual formation, they encourage you to ask provoking questions. So I'm always curious and because I'm so relationally driven, I tend to go after things that are that that have a, a level of, of relational value to make them work. There's got to be a, a, a desire and a capacity to do relational connectivity, which works for me. And, I, and one last thing, I and I because I've met people from all over the globe, I've always believed that in every relationship that comes my way, in every circumstance I walk through, there is something here to be learned. So I approach everything with the idea I'm a learner going into to friendship. So I sit and talk to bright young Nigerians who are you know tremendous professors, highly educated, and they 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 teach me about things. I mean. I, I've said one time that, you know, when I I don't need to write a book because every person I've ever met is a chapter. And Mm. just when you know them, you'll know me because they have spoken into my life. So in my world, uh, Brian, because of being highly mobile and 32 years on, I'm still doing that. I've not settled and stayed. I put other things in front of that. So those are the things I've done to keep myself prayerfully in a place of always learning. What is the difference between a powerful and a provoking question? Powerful is you sort of you sort of ask a question and you stand back and think, aha, he's he's having his aha moment right there. He says that mm-hmm. that was Jenna. That that's a great question. You you know, and a provoking question is you listen and your answer back is not necessarily to awaken some aha moment, but to ask a question that provokes inside of me. It provokes a, an awareness of you know. I could give you my specific example, how the lady brought me to a real realization about myself. And it wasn't like an aha moment, but as she asked, I'm answering, I says, I, and I've stopped, you know what, actually, actually, that's true. I, I, I've never been provoked to think of it in that way. So powerful is sort of like it lifts them from where they're stuck and beyond, because that's generally what coaching is all about. Spiritual formation is not that you're taking your next step up, but you're probably 
you're kind of probably taking a step deeper, deep, mm. a step into where the real discovery point is. What has God been showing you or teaching you over the last few months or maybe the last year? You know, that's, I, I, I think like this. So it's, it's a great question for a guy like me. I tend to start every new year with a theme, you know, what mm. is, I want to get into. So uh, like when I was coming into convoy the year before in 2014, my thought for the year was living in contested space. And I meant contested faith space, mm. living in contested space and learning to do whatever it takes. So what do you do in a generation? We're not, we're not the first one to live in contested faith space, but how do you respond and what works and what helps you survive? So I did a lot of thinking around that one, and it really set me up to be able to say yes quite easily to Hal Donaldson when he spoke with me, uh, Hal and his team. Mm. But this year, I've been thinking a lot, and here's my phrase, carry the treasure. Mm. And so what I'm aware of is that, you know, I, I, I'm really, again, thinking about, about, you know, creating redemptive opportunities. And I know that there's some very strong, vivid images in the scripture that, that we know and they move our hearts. But I was kind of just saying, Lord, is it possible there's another image that would just awaken something even deeper inside me? So we understand the Matthew five that Jesus says, here's the point. Here's how you need to live, respond. You live as, as salt and light. And we've kind of all heard those sermons. And there's, that's a demonstrative image. And it speaks a lot about, about presence and about, and about, you know, engaged activity. So I, I get that. And then Paul refers to us in second Corinthians that we should see ourselves as ambassadors on assignment, mm. acting and living as if Christ was making his very appeal to men through us. So then I begin to think about this phrase in Second Corinthians as well. Second Corinthians chapter three, Paul is basically describing ministry. And it opens in chapter four that says, therefore, since we have this ministry, let's remember, we also have this treasure. Well, the ministry he was pointing back to in chapter four was the ministry of being able to appoint men to Christ. The treasure, if you read it in context, the treasure, what's the treasure? The treasure is that we, we have come to know and understand God. Many people, Paul says, their eyes are blind. They can't see that, but you have come to know. You, you have this treasure in these earthen vessels and you have the treasure so you can do the ministry. So I begin to think about that, about how can I live my life? All the things that I have been entrusted with, all the things that I have been empowered to do, all the things that I have expectations for, how can I live and, and see them as a treasure? And I just thought about it in so many arenas of my life, like all that God's given me, I want to pick up all I've been given, cherish it like a treasure and carry it with me down the road. I thought about pastors and churches who, you know, they come to these moments and it's something has to shift and shift and something has to change. And sometimes the temptation is to say, we're just going to deconstruct everything we've been doing and reconstruct again. And part of me says, but hold on, there's a lot of value in what's been established. So rather than think, thinking deconstruct, let's gather the treasure. Certainly things could be added, but let's don't dump the treasure. Let's carry the treasure. And if we would just be, it's about stewardship. I'm really ta describing yeah. stewardship. But if we could be good stewards of every relationship, every gift, every entrusted thing, if we could look to our lives and believe like the psalmist said, look, here's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting goodness and mercy to follow me all the days of my life. I, I begin to define what goes on in my life and think, look, it looks like a bad thing, but somewhere there's a treasure in that. I want to, I want to dig out the treasure and carry it with me. Wow. That, that is incredibly rich. I, I'll be honest. I'm going to have to re-listen to that one as well to, to, to kind of process everything that you shared. I, I would like to shift our focus to Convoy of Hope. You're the vice president for Convoy International. Can, can you share a little bit about what Convoy of Hope is? Because maybe not even all of us know what that is. Yeah, well, Convoy of Hope is a wonderful organization. It's primarily driven by humanitarian engagement and by disaster response. And so we all like the last last month we have been in Louisiana and Texas. We've been in Puerto Rico we've been in Mexico. We've been in South India. We've been in the British Virgin Islands. It's just been crazy. We've been so stressed as an org. But Hal, our founder, his desire is that we would show up early and stay longer than most people will. We just don't go in quick, drop the food and go. We stay on the ground and our guys will move from meeting immediate need to moving into debris, clean up. They'll, they'll clear out debris and they'll stay and, and help long term. They'll just stay and do that. Mm -hmm. And then humanitarian engagement, which means it's really the deep, deep 
needs produced by poverty and hunger. So this it's, it's where in places where where poverty reigns supreme or household food security is continually under attack. And so that's what Convoy does. So at the moment, we are feeding, uh, it's probably somewhere between 165 and 170,000. We publish annual numbers. So I know we're beyond what we said at the end of 2016. We don't have the 17 numbers in yet. I'm guessing we'll be around 170,000 people. We have women's initiatives where we do microloans to women. We have in that same initiative, empowered girls. So we help mothers to be able to reestablish some sort of income stream to add to the value of the family. And at the same time, we want to reach everyone. But in most cultures, the most at risk are the young girls who sometimes Mm -hmm. if there's a meal being offered at school, they'll go to school. Fathers will send them to school because it's 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 an advantage. It's a it's a benefit. They don't want to they don't want their daughters to miss out on. And then we do agriculture. So I've just come back from Nicaragua. I was at a a wonderful farm where this lady and her son have now planted 2,500 dragon fruit plants. And they're talking about just the incredible gain that they have gained, they've received out of this. And so many people have various ways of describing Convoy. Here's how I describe it. Convoy Hope has these three things in mind. Number one, they want to, they want to stand with those who've been made fragile. Mm. by life's difficult circumstances, to advocate, to stand alongside. But beyond that, they want to serve those who in their fragility have become desperate. And thirdly, and this is the big one, we would love to shape the heart of the church and turn it towards compassion. Wow. Now, having read books like When Helping Hurts, I'm aware of the challenge of coming in and offering aid or whatever is needed and being really careful to to make sure that you're actually offering help instead of harming. And for myself, I feel incredibly ill-equipped to even begin to make decisions about that kind of thing. How, how are you as Convoy able to, to make sure that what you're doing actually does help instead of harming? Well, there's two, there's probably two or three things we do that are very critical. Number one is that we, when we go in, we go in with a, with a highly ethical and, and, and a deeply trusted partner. So that means much of the time we don't do everything we do directly with the church, but we do it in partnership with. So like in Nicaragua, the greatest need are in public schools. So we, we form through trusted friendships. We form relationships with schools and we do, we do our feeding at the school. So now we're adding to educational value. Mm-hmm. We would never do feeding unless we also had the chance to be able to monitor and measure. So we're, we're very aware of stunting. We're very aware of wasting. We're very aware of the impact of, of deworming. We, we just, we, we, we intensely monitor everything we're doing so we know where we stand and we know the point that it, we can say this particular group of individuals have been reestablished. And so you move on. There's always an exit strategy. We're not here to stay. We're here to make a, a significant difference and to leave sustainability, which means moms are now, you know, empowered. There's, there's greater income coming into the homes and there's agriculture has been added. So now they're actually engaged in providing for sustainability for themselves. And we just, we, we make sure that the package is all there. If, you know, kick off a load of rice and wave as you drive out of town and, and, and call that good, there's nothing, though the food is present, there's nothing there. And probably the other thing that's really true is that we want a healthy, well-nourished child, mm. which has to do with nutrition, but it also has to be has to do with both the the reality of a family life and the reality of a some kind of hope-filled message. We want to put our kids in places where the environment is filled with with a, a possibility of a hope-filled reality. So we love to connect them even if it's just via relationship. So they may not actually ever go to the church, but you know, this is a good man. This is a good lady. And they speak hope and they speak life. And if you need them, they're always here in your village. They're always here in your community. And they're a convoy friend and we want mm-hmm. them to be your friend too. I would imagine that in order to do this kind of thing at the the scale that you're talking about, nearly 200,000 people over the course of a year and a number of projects, you probably have to have some kind of systems or standards or for lack of a better term, rules and regulations in place. How are you able to make sure that those support your ability to provide good aid without restricting your ability to also provide good aid? 
Well, I, I think the, the big thing there is that we're very intent. We have tremendous, we do a lot of hires. All, all of our staff are nationals, and we have nationals who come to us with who are highly skilled. And many of them, here's the wonderful thing. I heard one of our, one of our leaders, uh, a guy whose name is Tom Trask, and Tom Trask said that anyone can do compassion, but compassion work, but only groups like Convoy can do it with the kindness of Christ. And there are just a lot of people who have this desire. They're very much dialed in to, to humanitarian need and they've, their, their, their voices, their strong voices for social justice. But for many people, there's also that sense that I'd love to be able to, to incorporate as well this wonderful sense that the spiritual well-being of the child is also something that means it, it has value to me. Yeah. And so that opens up the door for a lot of people to come to us who are very skilled. So, what we know is that the, the, the people we have and the, the, the accountability structures we have, because we have, we have guys both on the ground who are monitors and people who, who do random visits and, you know, monthly supports that are submitted. So we just try to really, in some ways, it's not, we don't have to really encourage accountability or encourage engagement because our people, the, the kinds of folks we hire, if you meet them, they're, they're going to do that all by themselves. But to provide them with data that verifies and confirms here we're doing well and here we're still not getting the numbers we need. And so we, we, we can't give ourselves rest until we make sure that's also in, in alignment. You mentioned rest and from for a personal standpoint, just the thought of trying to figure out how to do this makes me tired, much less the actual doing of it. But uh, there there has to be fruit as well. You have to be seeing this make a difference in people's lives and, and knowing that you're being faithful to God in doing this. How, what are some of the ways that you've seen Convoy of Hope positively impact people's lives? You know, I, I, I measure it in stories that there's a couple yeah. of, and we have, we have on our website, we have some really, really incredible videos that just capture the story and the names and the visuals. But one of the ones I've just been sharing a lot with churches recently is a young boy in Tanzania whose name is Baraka. And mm-hmm. Baraka is a little boy whose mom did her very best to care for him. He never knew his father. His father died. Uh, before he's old enough to remember. So his mom had to eke out an existence, and you'll actually see her sitting in a pile of big rocks that she's breaking into smaller rocks so she can sell. That's all she can do. That's all she's got. So we convoy comes into her village. They begin to t- engage with Baraka because of his desperate He was a boy who was already at some level being impacted by malnutrition. And they get mom, they get mom involved. So mom starts raising chickens and all of a sudden beyond her job, she has a livelihood, which gives her a sense of value. And, and she begins to get this smile on her face and no one can believe it. And she's just coming alive. And, and then, and then walking home one evening, there was an accident and, 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 and Baraka lost his mom Mm. and she was just suddenly gone. And, and he's just. You know, he's just, he has no one now, but he has this convoy family around him. And he just begins to recognize that, you know what, first it hurt so bad. And there many days I just couldn't say anything. I didn't even want to pray. But then I began to understand that, you know, it's, it's, I need to, I need to pick this up. I, I want to, I want to keep doing what my mom was doing. So then you show him and Diana, she taught me how to feed my chickens. Diana taught me how to mix my feed. Diana taught me how to, and he just talks about this little worker in his village who's a, a convoy young lady. And here his last pictures are a big smile. He's holding a chicken. I think he's holding a goat. And he's, and they say that Barack, that Barack has been able now to provide food and family that gives some support to his sisters. And, and he's smiling big and hold a picture of his, holding up a picture of his mom and just saying, mm. you know, as bad as it is, mom, we're, we're, we're going on. Wow. And it's a powerful story. There's a wonderful story about a girl named Kate in the Philippines. Similarly, a beautiful story. And so that's how you know, because we're capturing those stories. In fact, every time we do a report, we ask our guys in the field, send us a couple of stories that just have really brought, they've just really inspired you to do what you do. Just send those stories. We'd love, of course, we love hearing the stories, but as much as anything, Mm -hmm. for them to be able to sit and write the story just kind of takes off all the heaviness and says that we not, it may not be working like you want everywhere, but boy, one mm-hmm. or two great stories confirms that we are making a difference. I think it's, it's almost like you're reading my notes because the next question I was going to ask was, what is it that keeps you going when things get tough? And it sounds like these stories are part of that. Is there anything else? Oh, yeah. 
You know, I, I guess the other reality is, is that I just think in a world like ours, when the, when the, when the church can be present, here's the one thing that I think this generation is going to really hold us as the church accountable to. This generation just cannot tolerate absence yeah. in places where they believe there should have been presence. So I actually think that engaging in a hurting world and, and seeking to try to really make social justice and, and having a voice of, a voice of advocacy and standing up and speaking on behalf of the fatherless and the orphan. And, and for that to be something, I, I believe it actually, it, it certainly makes the gospel more powerful in the most fragile places, but I believe it actually empowers the church to have resounding value. So that we're not asking this generation to trust and lean on the things of mom and dad or grandpa and grandpa. But we recognize their world is not your world. And the world that you see and the world that you care about is a world where the church needs to be present in these powerfully difficult places. And I think it, I think it's good. I think it's what we have to do to be faithful to the, to this generation. What would you share with somebody who's listening to this right now and they totally agree with everything that you just said and they want to be present but they they either feel constrained by something in their life perhaps a job or something like that or they just don't know what the first step is to take what would you share with them well i i i think yeah i i'm i guess the first thing i would say is that it just being able to have your own heart provoke you to know that that i know i should i don't know how i can but i know i should that that feeling all by itself is a great place of beginning because mm. when it's present, what it'll cause you to do is in all the places you thought you were blocked and, and maybe you were, but but all of a sudden I think you begin to to see differently. I remember years ago there was a song and the message was kind of different, but it just fits what I want to say right here. Amy Grant had a song and her prayer in the song was, I want to have my father's eyes. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you, if you just, you're, I, I hear what you're saying is true, but I feel blocked. I feel challenged. I feel it just can't happen. I think to nurture the fact, but though I, I still say that with my mouth deep in my heart, I still believe that that's what I need to do. And I think it'll help you begin to see circumstances and situations where once you saw impossibility, you, there's like this little crack. You begin to see what's possible. I could do that. It's possible I could take this step. And I would say that with, without any doubt in the closest, the, the, some of the people who are in deepest need, a great number of them, more than we often realize, are not nameless faces in faraway places. Some of the most needy people are actually people who we know by their first name. Yeah. I mean, we just, but, but we, something needs to, to awaken us just to recognize that, you know, and it'll just, mother, you know, it's really true. I know some people whose life situation is just, it's just difficult and I could actually do something for them. And there becomes your starting spot. Yeah. As you were sharing that, you reminded me, there was uh, one of the kids that I went to high school with years and years ago. Now I had no idea at the time, but he and his family were on welfare and I don't know that if I had known that at the time, because this would have been back in the 80s, if it would have meant anything. But now looking back, I wish that I had known and done something different. I don't know what I would have done different, but I, I definitely see that because he was a name. He was one of my friends and I just had no idea. I wonder, are there ways that we can recognize the needs around us without being nosy or busybodies? Well, I think there, I think there is. And I, I think probably the most obvious ones would be, uh, though you didn't know about the, the, the welfare reality. I think we can almost all see people who it's just quite obvious. I'll tell you just a little story just happened to me the other yeah. night. So I'm riding my bike. I love to ride my pedal bike every night. And, and I had a tire in front that was a little funky. So I'd intentionally let air out of it because the, it was, the tire was sort of bowing out, bubbling out a bit. Well, this guy who I don't even know said, hey, hey, come over here a second. I said, I want to raise it. My son saw you riding by hmm. and he noticed you had a, uh, your tire was low. So they want to help me. And it, one thing, it just goes on and on. Well, I leave there. I really thought they were just a great little family. And the column was just a great little kid, 15 year old kid. So I come home. I just got back from Brussels and I took them a box of chocolates. And I said, hey guys, you didn't have to do that for me. So thank you. And just wanted to bring you a box of Belgian chocolates. And then the little sister came and she's mm -hmm. studying Europe. So I have my iPhone. So I'm showing her all these places in Europe and she's interested in Scandinavia. And, 
And so I'm sitting there talking and I have a little scooter. So I rode my bike the first time. Then I have this little scooter I ride. Well, I left my key on. I got so caught up in talking to this little family. <laughs> so Colin wants to push me home. So I said, okay. So he pushes me home and I've talked about my car and my wife has a, a Volkswagen convertible that, you know, he said, so I said, he wants to take a ride. He's, you know, he's 16. So we take a ride and as a ride and he's telling me that, yeah, I just actually came to live with my dad because I was with my mom, but it wasn't working out so great. Mm. It's okay here, but you know, you know, he's, he's just kind of being very honest and sincere about life's realities. So I get back and we're coming home. He's, he's got his license and, you know, my wife probably wouldn't approve of this, but I thought, you know what, if I was 16, I think I'd want to sit behind the wheel of a Volkswagen convertible. It's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a turbo diesel. So I said, Hey, Colin, take us home. And he talked and took us home. We get out and this kid grabbed my hand and shook it and <laughs> made me promise I'd come back. So all I knew was this kid called me out and just by being there and listening, I catch the fact that this is a blended family and that this, there's a lot of dynamics going on. I guess what I'm saying is you don't have to look far because in today's world, for all of us, the level of fragility is actually at some area of our life, in some area of our lives, it's just below the surface. Maybe not seen, but closeness to the surface, that surface that can almost easily be felt. Wow. That, that is an incredible story. I, th I think I'd kind of like to draw it to a close right here. And I'm just wondering, how can we best pray for you? Well, I'll tell you, here's my, always my prayer. And I, I, I get asked that question a lot and, and this is it. I always want to be able to have God enable me with his grace to be able to think and serve to the level of the spirit. Mm. I don't want to ever be blocked in my thinking and, you know, just get just almost shut down because I think I'm just, I'm just tired. I want to be able to be in my mind creative and in my heart and my soul responsive. Wow, that's great. I would like to encourage you, if you're listening to this, to just take a minute and pray for Terry right now. Just go ahead and pause this and pray for him. Pray about, you know, his ministry and what he's doing in his heart in, in this ministry. Pray exactly what he's asked you to pray. I'd really appreciate that because I know for me, sometimes if I don't, I forget to. And so my encouragement for you is just to do that. If you're interested in connecting with him, stop by the show notes at engagingmissions.com slash Terry Hoggard. We'll have a couple of ways for you to connect with him there, as well as links to any of the resources we talked about. Uh, Terry, I just want to say thank you so much. I really appreciate you doing this. Brian, I'm really honored. Thank you for what you do as well. I'm really, I'm grateful for guys like you who choose to put a voice and make things available. And it's been a joy for me to be with you tonight. Well, thank you. In just a minute, we're going to be talking about who we're really fighting. But before we do that, I do have for you a podcast recommendation brought to you by missionalaudio.com. That's where you can find incredible podcasts and audiobooks that are focused on missions, church planting, evangelism, missional living, that kind of thing. It's a great place to find those and connect with them. And they're all either audiobooks or podcasts. So it's something that you can listen to on the go. This week's featured podcast is the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment. Now, if you've listened to the Engaging Missions show for a while, you know that this is hosted by Scott McClelland. Scott's been on the show a couple of times. He and I are friends over the miles, and I'm glad to suggest his podcast to you. He shares bite-sized insights into leadership with a focus on the Bible, missions, and ministry. And recently, he started interviewing people. So not just him talking anymore, but also sometimes interviewing people. They're typically somewhere between 5 and 20 minutes. It varies a little bit. And you're going to find a wide variety of sources. There's always something there to inspire you and challenge you to greatness. I think it's a great podcast and worth checking out. And I'd also like to mention that as I'm recording this, he and his team are preparing to go to Africa. And if you are interested, I would ask you that you pray for them as well. So just take a minute to pray for them. Check out the podcast, The Foundational Missions Leadership Moment. You'll find that linked up at missionalaudio.com or just click the podcast art or visit the show notes page to find the link to Missional Audio and you can find it right there. Take a minute, check it out. If you like it, subscribe. That's The Foundational Missions Leadership Moment. Who are we fighting? I want to mention before I get too far into this that I'm taking this based on an article that Steve Shermer wrote. And I did ask him and he gave me permission to use this on the show. I will have a link for you in the show notes. So either tap the album art if you're listening on an app and find that link and just click through to read the whole thing. Or if you're listening from the website, you'll find it linked up there as well. 
and I'm going to read a little bit of what Steve wrote, and then I'm going to put some of my thoughts in there as well. I think that this is an incredibly timely message for us. So I'm going to start off with some of his words. Every day we face a battle. Every day we're fighting in a war. This war is not focused on ISIL, but it does include those identified with ISIL. This war is not focused on the person next door that we love, dislike, or hate, but it does involve them. And I just want to say right off that I really appreciate Steve's perspective on this and his willingness to put this out there because it can be so easy sometimes to think to ourselves that that person who we don't agree with, whether they're a nameless, faceless part of a group of people that we don't know or that next door neighbor, they're a real person. They matter. They matter to God. These are the people that Jesus died for just as much as he died for you and me. So this war is not focused on them, but Steve then goes on to talk about how it does involve them and then talks about a real enemy. And of course, we know this real enemy from what it says in the Bible, but I'm going to go ahead and read what, what he wrote there. Our fight is not with each other. That means also you or me. And I, that's my words right there. Or with any human being for that matter. We may get spiteful at one another or desire ill will against our enemies, but our real fight is not human to human. Our real fight is against the kingdom of darkness. Satan is the one who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy each one of us. If we can wrap our heart around that truth, we will have the ability to see people differently. Man, my heart and my prayer is that I and that we, and you're probably already there, but I'm not necessarily there, that we would really begin to be able to see people differently, that we would see them through God's eyes, that we would see them as the people that Jesus came for, and that we would then begin to change our perspective and change our prayers and focus them on bringing Christ to them, and that we would see them as not beyond redemption, because any of us outside of Christ are truly beyond redemption, but in Christ, all things are possible. Now, I also want to say that these are these are great things to say when I'm sitting just outside of Nashville, Tennessee in a relatively safe place and somebody else is literally on the front lines. It's easy to say, maybe not easy to do, but you know, when you're when you're far away from it, it's a lot tougher sometimes when you're face to face with something or when you're facing down that fear. And fear is one of the things that the enemy would use to distract us from what's really going on. These are opportunities for the light of Christ to enter darkness and to bring that that life and that light to that dark place. These are incredible opportunities, but oh, that God would open our eyes that we would see them. That said, it's not easy. It's not safe sometimes. And so as Steve goes on to say, this armor is vital. He's talking about the armor of God. May we wear this armor always. May we wear this armor well. May we constantly train ourselves in how to use it. Now, talking about places where I feel like I'm falling short, man, I feel like I'm so ill-equipped to be in a place where I was literally facing down someone who's maybe got a gun on me and I'm trying to think, okay, how would I respond in that situation? Thankfully, I'm not in that situation, but you know, there are opportunities for us to choose every day where whether we're going to walk in faith or fear. My encouragement to you and to me and to us is that we would fully embrace God's calling on our lives, that we would step out in faith in those moment-by-moment opportunities, those moment-by-moment opportunities where we could choose faith or choose fear. May we see with God's eyes and may we choose faith instead of fear. May we always continue to practice to wear the armor of Christ and that we would always see with his, with his eyes, with his heart. I want to say thank you to Steve for taking the time to write this and then for giving me permission to use it on this show. I really appreciate it. Steve, thank you so much. I, I just can't say thank you enough. I love what you shared and I love having the opportunity to share that as well. Now, I also mentioned that I have an opportunity for us to connect more. And this is something where I'm going to ask for your feedback because I don't know for sure if it's something that you're interested in. But I was thinking, you know, it might be great if there was a way for us, you and me, to connect better with our guests. And so what I'm thinking about is creating a Facebook group 
where we can connect with the guests after they've been on the show. Now, I do want to say that for the guests where there's a, a security concern, like they're using pen names, they can't share where they are in the world, I'm not going to expect them to show up. But it's one of the things that I could ask a guest to do if they're interested, if we're interested. So I've put a link to a brand new group that I created on Facebook. It's in the show notes. And it's, you know, if you tap the album art, you can find a link for it there. I'll make it easy for you to find or on the webpage. And if you're interested, click that and request to join the group. There are a couple of questions to answer just to learn a little bit more about you and why you might be interested in being part of this group. And then, you know, I can very easily approve you and we can get this going. The only thing I'm looking for is at least 30 people to be interested in this so I can go back to my guests and say, hey, we've got this group. We'd like to connect and, you know, maybe have a chance for people to follow up with some questions, maybe connect a little bit more deeply to be encouraged, equipped to be challenged and inspired more completely, both the guest and also us. I think this could be a great way for us to connect more deeply with the guests of the show and also to build a little bit more community so that we can be, we can see what God is doing in our lives together through, through whatever it is that he's working us through. So I just ask that if you're interested Take a minute, click that link, and fill out those couple of questions. We'll get this started. And if we have at least 30 people who are interested, then we'll go forward with this. If not, no pressure. We'll just set it back on the back burner and we'll say, okay, well, maybe that's not the right thing for now. Also, if you know somebody who might be interested in being part of this, take a minute to let them know about it. Maybe they missed this week's episode. Maybe they're not subscribed to the show. Either of those are fine. But if they're interested in connecting with our guests, this is the place you might be able to do that. This has been a very, very full show. It's been full of stuff from our guests, and we've also had quite a bit to talk about. I do hope that I didn't overwhelm you. I want to say thank you to Terry Hoggard for being with us and also to you for joining with us and, to be quite honest, for sticking around to the very end. I really appreciate that you were here. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Terry Hoggard. That's T-E-R-R-Y. H-O-G-G-A-R-D. That's engagingmissions.com slash Terry Hoggard. You're going to want to check those out because it is a great place for you to be able to connect with our guest based on the contact information that he's provided and also to begin taking action on what you've heard. Make sure that you come back next week. We're going to be hearing from Steve Sims. He's the author of Beyond Church, and we're going to have a great conversation. If you're interested in making sure that you don't miss that, the best way to do that is subscribe to the show using your favorite podcast app, visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. And if you enjoyed this or you know somebody who you think might benefit from this, please help us spread the word. Your recommendation can help people connect with the resources that they need to take that next step in what God has for them in their lives. Thanks so much. I really can't wait to connect with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Missions Show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.